Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Craig Gillespie's new darkly comic biopic, I, Tanya. Based on unbelievable but true events, the film follows figure skater Tanya Harding as she goes from being the first American woman to complete a triple axle in competition to a criminal suspect and pariah. In an infamous chapter in American sports history, her ex-husband orchestrates an attack on fellow Olympic competitor Nancy Kerrigan at the National Figure Skating Championship in 1994. In addition to I, Tanya, Mr. Gillespie's credits include the feature films Million Dollar Arm, Fright Night, Lars and the Real Girl, and Mr. Woodcock, and the pilot episodes of the series My Generation and United States of Terra. He is a four-time DGA Award nominee for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Commercials and received the DGA Award for his 2006 commercials for AmeriQuest and Altoids. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Gillespie spoke with director Tom McCarthy about filming I, Tanya. During their conversation, Mr. Gillespie discusses the challenge of finding the correct tone given the domestic violence in the story, the film's key improvisational moments, and how he achieved soaring steadicam shots while on an ice skating rink. Thanks for coming out tonight on a cold Wednesday night. Um, <clears throat> we're just going to jump right in. I'll chat a bit with my friend Craig here and, about his wonderful movie, and then I'll open it up to any questions uh, that you have. Uh, so uh, we just had a, a drink, and I was like holding back on things I've wanted to ask him. But that said, I could feel it. Yeah. That said, I've, I've known Craig for a while. We collaborated uh, on Million Dollar Arm many years ago, and uh, and, and I remember when uh, this script came across his desk. And uh, he happened to be in New York, and we were chatting about it. And he said, you know, he just come off doing a big movie for Disney. He's like, I feel like there's something about this. I just want to, like, grab it and run with it. And um, at our drink next door, he said, you know, I don't know if you know about, about Craig, but he shoots about 1.2 billion commercials a year somehow. And I don't know how he does it. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, I just want to, like, get it. And I don't want to think. And I just want to, like, make it. And I, you know, he was sort of, the way he was talking about it sounded like maybe he just, maybe he was just going to throw it away. But really what it meant was he just wanted to kind of explode it. And I think that's exactly what he did with this movie. He went with his gut and his instinct and his vision. And, I, and for me, uh, when, I, when I looked at the running time today as I was coming to the theater, I'm like, this movie's two hours? For me, it flew. I just was so with the characters, with the story, uh, with the rhythm and the music of the movie that I just it took me away. And uh, I'm really thrilled for you and excited to be here to talk about it. So thank let's talk you, about that. You. you get this movie, and it's so different than you know uh, the, the couple of pictures you did before. Like, What was your first thought? It's, um, actually, I remember I was actually coming back from a commercial set and uh, my agent called and he goes hey uh, i got this movie about tanya harding and he took it just in the breath that he took i went through like seven different thoughts of like i'm not looking to do another sports biopic no offense to our movie that we did but we had done a sports biopic and then i did another biopic 
and it seems so long ago and I was like, I don't, you know, and then uh, he finished the sentence with, and with Margot Robbie playing Tonya Harding. And I was like, that is the craziest combination. Um, and I love Margot's work. I was really familiar with it. And her dance that she can do of drama and comedy is something that I love to work with. And I was hoping that maybe the script would reflect that. And then I read the script, and it was the craziest, wildest ride that I've ever written, uh, that I've ever read. And it didn't, I couldn't find anything to compare it to. It was, um, I kept trying to find other movies to, to look at. And obviously, To Die For was one of the first things I thought of that, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman and Gus Van Sant that has the, the narration in the interviews with them. But it's very linear, and they're all telling the same, like building on the same story. And this, this idea of these contradictory viewpoints that never get resolved. And then on top of that, they're talking to each other and, and talking to the audience. And uh, it was just, and there was a lot of other voiceover going on, and it, the, there was a 256 scenes in 110 pages. And I was actually worried whether it could hold that, because this, the energy of it was so much, but uh, it, you know, I actually then complicated it even more by adding a Breaking the Fourth Wall, which wasn't in the script, and decided to bring that in as well, so. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing. You know, when I talk about, when I try to think about the movie logically, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't hold together. It shouldn't make sense. But it is so, uh, it's just so compelling and it's so grabbing. And it goes beyond just the rip from the headline story. It's something about watching uh, uh, the sort of, you know, Rashomon effect of so many unreliable narrators telling the same story and not knowing where this comes into play, right? Where it, Where we're landing. And there's something that seems so... You know, I know when you made this movie, you didn't know we were going to be right where we are at this point in time, right? This crazy, f***ed up world that we're living in. But there's something that feels so current about this movie because it's it's factless, right? <laughs> it's sort of like about... Yeah. A Opinion and it's fake facts. It's fake facts, but it is about it's about opinion and point of view in a really relevant and important and interesting way. And what uh, I loved about it, yes, there's like what I loved about it is we're making it be audience participation. Like you get to take all of this information and then decide what you think. It's almost more in a documentarian way. Like I'd think about the jinx and when we, you'd watch that and you'd really be leaning in and be like, is he lying right now or is he telling the truth? And you have to go with your own instincts to decipher that. So it was bizarre in these interviews that we would have to talk to Margo and be like, how much are you lying right now when you talk to us? You know, she'd have to walk that nuance to give you those signals. But that was, that was really interesting in terms of all those unreliable narratives. But like, more thematically, what I really enjoyed was the opportunity that we can take somebody in our society that is like basically a poster child for the villain, like in America. And she's been a punchline. And you know, um, Obama, two years ago, tweeted he was going to go Tonya Harding on somebody. You know, 23 years later. It's just shocking, like the, just the impact that she's had. And take this idea that, and I'm sure, like when people came in here, you're prejudiced. And you think I'm not going to, I'm not going to have empathy for this person. And then we get to show her as a human being and all the nuances of her life, and that, <clears throat> sorry, that informed where she ended up and the choices that she made with all the emotional and physical abuse. And I'm not trying to condone what she did, but just understand it. And in a way, it makes you uh, be culpable. And we're holding a mirror up to ourselves, and I want you to feel a little guilty about being so judgmental, which I feel is a commentary on how we are now. Like, they started off this 24-hour news cycle, started with them and CNN, and everybody 
just craving for for like you know headlines. And back then there was a narrative that they supplied us, but now there's so many outlets for it. But we just consume it like at this rapid pace and go through all these lives and churn through them. So I liked you know it's commentary on the media, but it's also a commentary on us consuming it. Right. Um, and so so you get the script. Uh, I know you as a director, you're someone who likes to dig in on the script. How much of that did you do uh, with the screenwriter, with your creative team? like, Or, or did you just kind of take it at face value? Was, did you do a, I mean, you mentioned sort of breaking the fourth wall in those moments, which I assumed were mentioned in the script, uh, you know, because of how seamless they are and how much they make sense and how much they sort of weave into your opening comment about how unreliable this will be in some ways. So uh, how much work did you do uh, with the it writer? Was, the, the I, I mean, I actually had to pitch myself, obviously, which we always do as directors for this film, but... Uh, Margot Robbie was already on as a producer with her f company in her first year. And Alison Janney, Stephen Rogers wrote this script on spec. And basically, just quickly, he saw the 3030 documentary, went and tracked down Tonya Harding. He called her up, flew up to Poland on his own dime, interviewed her for two days, got this crazy story, then thought, all right, I'm going to go find Jeff Galuli. And they haven't spoken in 25 years. Found Jeff Galuli, interviewed him. And they were so contradictory in their stories that that was his in into this movie. Um, so that that's what started it all. So I had to go in and pitch all of them, you know, my idea. And I met them all separately. Brian Unkless is the producer. And then he's like, all right, now I want you to meet Stephen. I sat down with Stephen for three hours. That went well. And he's like, all right, now you need to meet Margot. And I sat down with Margot. And she basically asked two questions. And I thought they were the best questions, which is the first one was the tone. Like, everybody talks about tone. And it's such an intangible thing. And how do you do tone? And then, which is a long answer, which we might get into. And um, the second question was, how are you going to handle the violence? And with the violence, they said, I think we need to be brutally honest. I think we need to show all of it and not hold back. Because this informs us on the way, the way she behaves and the way she sees the world. And the way that just that that armor that you see on her and just the way that she um, rationalizes everything is from this upbringing and her relationship with Jeff. As we were working on that, and you know, particularly the, the violence that starts in the beginning of the movie, you'd watch a lot of documentaries. There's so much footage on Tanya out there. From the age of 15, there's this amazing documentary that a Yale student did where you really see like behind the curtain, and that's actually where that footage is from her mother with the bird and the fur coat is from this uh, Yale documentary. And you just see how numb she is to the violence. She talks about how her mother would hit her and she'd just shrug it off and, and you could already see that process happening. So intellectually I thought if we have a break the fourth wall when this is happening, it reinforces that she's disconnected from the scene and like, numb to the violence, that she can step out of it and talk to us. So that's where that idea came from. And then because I had it there, I felt like just to balance it in the film, we needed it in other places. So then we started just building upon that. And so the first time that Sebastian breaks the fourth wall is when the film really starts to become his narrative, like in the bar, that's the first time he talks to us. And then we, had, we got to play a lot. So there was a lot of like playing with that, adding to uh, the script in that way. Interestingly, because there, there was so much talking heads in the script and I felt it could really kill the momentum of it. So I designed the whole movie where we could literally have no interviews if we wanted. Like I shot footage that this could all be voiceover going through this. And we designed it that way. 
as so you could just punch in for a line in the interview and then keep this fluid camera work going. Um, and then also there was no music in the script, and I really like the energy and the chaos of her life, and you know being a big Scorsese fan and the way that he can juxtapose music to violence and put it in a different place. I really wanted, to, I, you know, and David O. Russell's stuff, I really wanted to have a lot of music in this. So I sat with my DP, Nicholas Kravitz Cantanis, who's Belgium, and we shot listed this whole film, looking like every time we'd be like, all right, here's an opportunity for music, and we'd design the movement of that. So we did a lot of that kind of stuff. And then once we got into the edit with Tatiana Regal, who was my fifth film with her, we did Lars and the Real Girl, and have worked since then together. Um, we started really stripping it away. We ended up taking about 30 minutes out of the film, but a lot of that was making the second half of the film the narrative ambiguous. So the audience starts to just take in this information because you start to go along for the ride and not question it. And whose narrative are we actually hearing in the second half? And you know, so it was clearer for a little while in the edit, and you'd know, like, all right, this is Jeff's point of view, and this is Tanya's. And then we kept stripping away who we were listening to, and you actually start to forget. But a lot of it is Jeff's point of view for the second half of the movie. So I want to go, uh, I know Tatiana, wonderful editor, uh, but she's probably the, she was the only constant on this. This is a very, you, you mentioned this is a really new crew for you, uh, which I think, from my perspective, seemed to feed you in so many ways. I think that can be really um, liberating for a director. What was that experience like? How did that feed into this, sort of the process and energy of this film? Um. I, there's a, there's, I do a lot of commercials, and there's like five guys that I work with a lot in commercials. All of them were doing movies like when this happened. And so I was suddenly in a place where I, I've got to find a DP that I haven't worked with, which is a scary proposition with a film. And uh, I had seen Nicholas's work. He did Bullhead, which is a beautiful Belgium film, and uh, he did The Drop and Triple Nine, and about another, there's like another 10 movies he did in, in Europe. Has such an interesting style, and it's he mixes so many different palettes. And we um, we talked on the phone, and everything we talked about was tone, and the and the humor, and the drama, and the movie had such a similar sensibility, which was great. And then we really connected on that. We actually didn't talk much about what we were going to do with the camera. It was all just about the, the tone of the film. Um, so and when we so I booked him, and he, when he came, finally met in person, he's like. I've never done a movie with somebody I don't have a relationship with before. And I was like, well, I kind of haven't either. We'll see what happens. And we got along great. <laughs> he was, I mean, there was so many moments in this movie. Um, and then again, then I went with Jade Healy, who I hadn't worked with, that my line producer recommended, production designer. This movie was incredibly, as you, as you probably heard, ambitious, because it was, we ended up shooting more scenes, because I add, had to add in so many shots for the music and for... So it was probably something like 280 scenes we did, and it was 31 days. And the, you know, Margot was amazing. That you know, the pressure on an actor to have to be doing eight or nine scenes a day and wig changes, and she was amazing. But everybody, it's like my, you know, from my AD Kim Winters, who has done like Edge of Tomorrow and Braveheart and like some massive movies, but he loved like being in the trenches on this and getting as much as we could. And it's such you know a puzzle to figure out every day. Um, and Jennifer Johnson, who was our wardrobe person, there was 108 wardrobe changes for Margot. Forget the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's five different, like, uh, you know, two Olympics and three other, like, she got down to all of Lilyhammer and what everybody was wearing back then. And 
but everybody just dived like full throttle in. It was amazing. So, but they were all people I hadn't worked with before. Which I, was I gotta say, you mentioned the two Olympics, and it's like it's amazing, right? Because for me, the movie has such scope, but it's still so intimate. It's so true to the world and the characters, and you feel like you're experiencing that scope through those characters. So it never goes out of its way for me to feel sort of disproportionately large or epic, but it feels true to their experience. And I feel in that way, sort of uh, the ride is just so authentic for me. You know, the whole way through, I'm like, oh, this is how it happened. This is how it happened. Even even the, the incident, you know, it's like, oh my God, that's totally, and those two actors, forget about it. I could, those guys should have their own series, I think, for sure. <laughs> But like, I want to go back to Margot a minute because we shouldn't, you know, this is, uh, it seemed in large part uh, to be a real passion project for an actress who uh, undoubtedly has a lot of opportunity. Uh, what was that collaboration with? How involved did you stay? Did you guys continue to collaborate through the process? Or once you hit production, did she kind of like, and I imagine by necessity, you had to on some level, but drop into her role as actress. Uh, how did she stay involved? I, it's funny. It's like you hope, you know, as a director, I think a lot of times the actor's prep is very personal to them. And you, you don't know, they all have a different process on how they work. Um, and a lot of times you're not involved in that as a director. It's like obviously there's rehearsals and things like that that we do. But she, she, she had a two-pronged situation going on here. One, she had to learn how to skate. She really wanted to skate as much as she could in this film. So she started five months before we started shooting with a trainer five days a week, like three hours a day. Working, um, like I, five months before, I, I went through all of Tanya's skating from 86 to 94 and storyboarded all of those sequences. And then I sent it to Margot and our skating coach, Sarah Karahara. And they, she had two other skaters, professional skaters, and they just worked on all of those pieces for five months. So Margot's got that going on. Then she's having to learn to be Tanya Harding. I think when you have such an iconic figure, the audience can be really critical of because we know Tanya's mannerisms and her speech patterns and her physicality. So it's it's a real burden, I think, as an actor to have to get into that mindset and uh, you know do the body language and working with like physical coaches and dialect coaches. The amount of prep that she did, I fully didn't appreciate until she came in on the set and she sat down for that interview and she just turned into Tanya Harding and. It was staggering, but then what's even more staggering is I could go off script with her. And sometimes when you're doing that with, with an actor when they've, they're having to do an accent, and they, you know, you can't veer too far from the script, but it was, there was a lot of improvising on this movie and a lot of spontaneity and a lot of reactive stuff going on between the characters, and she could roll with anything. It's like um, that it really became like this free form. It's, you know, that one scene when she's in the courtroom, it was a crazy day for us, and of course we shot in a real courtroom, and of course there was a real court case going on that went an hour over, and the whole crew's sitting outside waiting. And so we're like behind, behind, and we're trying to figure out our call times, and I'm talking to Margo about it, and then suddenly uh, the AD comes over, he goes, we're ready, and I'm like, oh, all right, great. So, and this is our second last day, so it's a very quick shorthand at this point. And I'm like, great, so we're starting on the judge, we're gonna come over and then you'll be hearing the verdict and we'll say on you as you do your dialogue. And I ran over to the monitor and I actually didn't have the script in front of me, so I'd forgotten exactly like how much it was. I called action and she started that performance and I'm watching it, I'm just riveted by it and she's so in the moment. And after about like four sentences, I'm like, I don't think there's any script left here. It's and. Uh, but she was so present that I just didn't call cut. 
And she went for another two minutes, which was what ends up in the movie there. Like, you know, send me, send me jail and I can still skate. It's like not in the script. And she just kept building on it and building on it. And uh, that was like the zone that she was in. It was amazing. And I took it for granted in a way, not like, not, not in the sense of, uh, you know, I, I'm in awe of it, but I just knew she'd be able to deliver every time we had a scene. There's another scene at the mirror, and um, which is how I love the collaboration on the set. And this was Nicholas, the DP, came over, a crazy day, running around, and uh, we're trying to shoot this scene at the mirror when she's getting ready. And Nicholas just leans over and goes, Why don't you ask her to? Baby put on all her makeup and then get her game face on. And so I, I run over, I'm like, can you try that? And she's like, yep. And uh, one take. And I'm, like, and I'm like, got it, great, thanks, let's go. And you got to throw another wig on and get on the ice and do a routine. And, and she was just like that the whole time. It's like all actors have different processes, but she has that amazing ability that she can be talking about something and you can call action. And she's that person. Um, I'm, I'll take some questions from out here in just a minute if you have some that I'll start thinking. Uh, but before I do, I want to be remiss not to talk about some of those amazing skating sequences, which I think are just stunning. And uh, full disclosure, my wife is a former competitive figure skater. And uh, I brought her to an early cut of Craig's movie, and she's like, holy sh totally got it right uh, and not just the skating but the world around it the instructors the ra the uh, refs or uh, they called or, um, so the all, yeah the judges all that see I was not a figure skater uh, uh, but you know she's just like it's just the world she lived in and she really she, she walked out there's like oh my god did he capture that world but let, let's talk about the skating sequences for a minute I mean some of the camera work there is very beautiful uh, I know you shot on film which makes it seem almost more difficult uh, with some of the technical things you're pulling it is off more difficult. Yeah, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, well, we, um, we really wanted to shoot on film for this, uh, Nick, Nicholas and I. Uh, puts you in the period, and uh, for all of the, not so much for the skating, it was more complicated, but for all the, the energy with them as a couple and in their world, we talked about almost the camera can't keep up with them. And uh, there's no marks, we didn't want to have marks, and I like the idea that we can go out of focus at moments, and it feels more immediate, and I think on film, that can look beautiful. Digitally, when you go out of focus, it's a little jarring. So that was a big point for us for wanting to do film. So, but when you get to the ice, you know, you, you can't work off a monitor with film. So we've got our focus puller with these massive sequences where he's walking around on the ice and they're 50 yards from him and he's trying to guess the focus and we won't know till the next day if we've got it all because these were some long takes that we were doing. As we were trying to figure out there's definitely styles to all the different pieces, you know, like the first one's very aggressive, the ZZ Top thing, because she was young and, and messy, and we wanted it to be that way, and then the triple is when she's at her peak, so it's more precise with the camera moves, and then the last, Lily Hama, she's got the whole world bearing down on her, and I just wanted the camera on her face, like with her, for like the whole sequence. But, so I started without knowing how we were gonna do it, and then we started having all these conversations of what are we gonna do, is it gonna be like a drone, is it gonna be, a guy on a sled with a movie camera with a remote head, and and uh, we're discussing it with our Steadicam operator who was in Los Angeles at the time, and we're in prepping in Atlanta, and he goes, hey guys, by the way, I, I can skate. And I was like, yeah, all right, and you can horseback ride and fence and probably do a whole bunch of stuff. And he's like, no, no, I'll, I'll shoot something this weekend. You thought he was just sharing his hobbies with you at the time? <laughs> yeah, he could get out there and maybe like you know follow her a little bit. And uh, so he's like, I'll shoot something this weekend and I'll send it out to you. And, 
and he uh, had a friend who was a figure skater, and he went out and did this crazy three-minute, you know, choreographed dance with her, and sent it back. And I'm like, that's what we're doing. So most of this is our Steadicam operator, Dana Morris, who's an amazing skater, and he would get up to, we, like, we knew the pieces we would need, so the skater would come in to do those couple of tricks, or Mago sometimes, and he'd come flying in at, you know, get up to speed and then lock in and he'd be holding a camera and either backwards or forwards, just start the whole move and just do this dance with them. So on the day, like, we would shoot those sequences, none of them were more than a day, some of them were like a half a day for like the whole, because it was so, it was just, it was such, such a quick way to work and I knew with our schedule we, didn't have the luxury of like making it too complicated. So did you spend a lot of the day morning like rehearsing, or how'd you? No, they. It's like five months of prep for them. So they, the skate would come out and we'd just chip away at it. It's like here's the first piece, the opening, and then we're gonna cut here. And Dana would come in and shoot it and try it. And then it's like, and then the next take, it'd be like, hey, maybe I'll come around this way and land on a face here. And I'm like, great, do that. And then we'd shoot the next piece and the next did piece. Did you board? Yeah, it was all boarded, but then. He was so fluid that we let it, we let it you know, go further. But each, it was pretty much each cut was where it was in, you know, in the boards. But what happened between those cuts would vary. Came out great. Uh, any, uh, any questions out here? Yeah, there's, uh, there's actually 120 effect shots and 60 head replacements. So... Yeah, Aid Effects, which is a commercial company that I work with, wanted to get into features, so they they literally gave us an incredible deal on it. And of course, you know, it ended up being twice as many shots as they bid. So and now they're out tough. of business. Yes, <laughs> you've drove. No, them they're still alive, they're, but they did an amazing job. And you know, it's like you deal with like a hundred extras, and then it, now these days it's all computer generated crowds, and you can program them to be standing and clapping and. You know, you, you know, you have to know the distance you got to be away from them for it to be forgiving, but it really works. Uh, someone else here had a question? Yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to repeat the question. Sorry. Uh, she said, have, have you met Tanya and what has been her reaction to this? Uh, Margot and I went up and met her two weeks before shooting the film. Um, and I was nervous about that. I didn't know how, how she would be. She'd read the script, but she was not allowed to have any input on it. Um, and, uh, you know, to try and be objective, but she was so kind. It was amazing to think like that she's had sort of been like abused in the press for 25 years and we're about to bring this whole story up again. I didn't know how protective she would be or, you know, miserable about it basically. And she was so kind and, and trusting. And, um, and I, I did try to show her that, you know, I was going to honor what she, what her version of things is, and that's what she just wanted to get her version out there. Um, then we showed her the movie two weeks before Toronto. Uh, we wanted to give her space, and so we sent somebody up there and rented a theater for her and her husband. She said there were things in it she didn't agree with, which I think is probably whatever Jeff was saying. And um, but she was overall happy. And then last night uh, we had a premiere in Los Angeles, and uh, she got to come. And she, and her husband mentioned to me how happy he was with what's happened. <laughs> he asked what the budget was, and was there any challenge in the funding? Which at this point is a rhetorical question in the film industry. Uh, it was ten million uh, to shoot it, and then 
And then the the big challenge was the music because uh, I I got really greedy and decided I wanted a, you know all of this music, but not just just music. I was insisting on Dire Straits and Fleetwood Mac and Foreigner and Laura Branigan, <laughs> Laura Branigan, and um, I felt I felt emphatic that we really needed that that music. It, the movie was designed around it. And uh, so, to their credit, they actually ended up coming up with the money for it, but it did. It ended up getting closer to eleven. Uh, she said she really loved Allison's performance as the mother, and how did she develop that character? And she didn't have an opportunity to uh, meet the, that care uh, the, the actual mother. It's um, Tanya didn't know where her mother was when Stephen, the writer, met with her. Um, she didn't actually know if, if she was still alive. So we didn't have any contact with her. Pretty much what Allison got, it's funny, Stephen likes to say that, uh, that Jeff and Tanya agreed on nothing except Lavana. <laughs> and um, so it's a lot of their versions of who she was. And then that documentary from when, you know, with the bird, then you really get a sense of her cadence and her attitude and her mannerisms in that documentary, which I think Allison took a lot from. And I mean, the amazing thing with Alice and Jenny as, a, as, as an actor is, it's the most vile stuff that she's doing and saying. It's just the most heinous. And somehow she makes us like, like her. And there's this empathy and you can feel the pain whenever she's talking. It's funny as it is, you can feel she's almost regretting it as soon as she's saying it. You know, you see that, I feel like you see that struggle in her and that's like, that's her talent as an actor. Yeah, it's really that completely operates. I don't know if we like her, but we uh, <laughs> you like you like to hate her. We don't want her to be our mommy, but uh, but she's in, but it feels incredibly human and, and honest, you know. And and you can see and feel that struggle. I'm curious on that note. The, did the, did each of the actors have an opportunity to talk to their counterparts? Like, what? How did that play out? Well, Margot obviously did, and then uh, Sebastian. how much time did they spend together, Margot and, and Tony? Not that much. It's like Mar there's so much footage on Tanya. I mean, more than than you know any of the other characters, obviously. So Margot really did her work with that, and she would listen to the the audio and the you know really get it all down. And then she wanted to do all of that first before she met Tanya, and just just have a conversation with her and explain to her that she's playing a character. This is her interpretation. It's not you know it's not a faithful rendition of, 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 of Tanya. So that was for her. Uh, for Sebastian, he really wanted to meet Jeff because there's not that much footage of Jeff. And generally, it's him or after the incident being interviewed where he's got, he's, he's, it's not an honest portrayal. He's like, you can feel like he's, he's saying the right thing or trying to play you know, the camera. So he wanted to see who he really was you know, when the camera wasn't on. Uh, so he went and, and had hung out with him for about three hours and had dinner with him, which I think he found invaluable. Anybody else have meet their... No, uh, Sean's character tragically has passed away like 10 years ago. It's a great performance, by the way. Amazing. And Bobby's character is a compilation and of, of a bunch of different journalists. Like, but there, there was a journalist we found in a documentary who literally said he slashed those tires and called a tow truck. Um, and then uh, for uh, Julianne Nicholson's character, Diane, she didn't want to meet. Great performance, also great actress. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, it's something, um, you know, I, I really wanted to be able to have us empathize with Tanya. And so actually before Lily Hamley, I 
consciously started just stripping all of the other characters away. By the time we get into that sequence with the chain, you really lose all the other interviews and it just becomes about Tanya because I really wanted to feel the pressure just building on her and the isolation that she had that there was nobody around to protect her. So it does very much go into that into that dive. So by the time we get to Lilyhama, I mean, it honestly was kind of a goal for me that, you know, obviously her as the villain, but also we all remember that iconic moment when she was when she was at the Olympics and she comes over and she's crying and she puts her skate up and we all laughed about it and we all ridiculed it. And, and I thought if we could actually make that a poignant moment in the movie, that would be quite a, a feat. And I thought, you know, with knowing her history and that we were going to go through that journey, it was possible. Well, my final question on that point was like, like I think you get a script like this, and it's a beautiful script, uh, real credit to the writer, um, but it's also an incredibly challenging just project and film on the whole, just a picture that could have gone in so many directions. Looking back now, do you recall like what, you know, I always feel like I have a couple of like real fears going into a movie, like we got to land this, this has to work, or I don't know how I'm going to do this, or I'm, this is the big challenge. For this particular film, what was it for you? It's... Um well, it was actually casting Jeff Gooley, and uh, it took us about four months to figure that out. Um, I mean, I came on board, there was Margot and Allison, but because of the violence in their relationship and trying to figure out that cycle and why they would stay together and why there was this destructive relationship that we could be engaged in, trying to find an actor that could do that dance was incredibly difficult. And that, I was completely stressed about that. Uh, we went through a lot of auditions. We had about 10 actors come in and read with Margot for chemistry. And there wasn't, it's like, it, it was amazing. It got very dark very quickly. Um, and uh, and it, there was none of that duality going on. And, uh, and then Sebastian uh, came along at Mary Venu's office and I got handed the headshot. And I wasn't familiar that much with Sebastian's work other than obviously I looked at him like the guy from Captain America and she's like, trust me and she'd seen him over the years and uh he came in and he had the mustache and the turtleneck and he just gave this incredibly layered performance that just blew me away and so then we had margot come and audition with him and there's a moment and i know it's a, it's obviously a very dark scene but it was always like how are we going to handle this violence and uh it was really you know because it's very much a lot of times it, it becomes premeditated and it gets very scary and it's not trying to condone it it's just trying to understand because they stayed in this relationship and so why do they keep coming back and what is there about it so he was in the middle of this scene with where the cops pulling them over and there's a line in the script where he goes if you fucking say anything I'll kill you and then in in the audition he leaned over and he kissed her and said I love you and it was not scripted and it was such a crazy dichotomy playing those different emotions and, yeah, and disturbing, and just it, you just saw like how schizophrenic his emotions were, that and how pained he was, and it just uh, I knew right then that, that he he could deliver for us. It's a good place to stop. I mean, I think you so well captured the heart and humor and pain and 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 Americanness of this great story. Congratulations, you, my friend. I'm very happy, Craig Gillespie. Thank you, Tom. Well done. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more from director Tom McCarthy, check out episode eight, where Mr. McCarthy discusses his DGA Award-nominated film Spotlight with director Jonathan Levine. You can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. 
be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.